Hello everyone. I'm reading the Bible today and we're reading from Mark 5, 1 to 20. That's Mark 5, 1 to 20. Why don't you read with me? They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came to him from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus said to him, What is your name? Then Jesus, then he said, My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirit came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside and the people went out to the see what had happened and when they came to Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man and they told about the pigs as well then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region as Jesus was getting into the boat the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your own people and tell them about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Good morning, everyone. Great that you're with us today, whether you're in person or at home on the couch, thrilled that we can still be the people of God, opening God's word uh, at this time. Today is a once-off talk that I hope will be uh, instructive and convicting and informative and encouraging and all those things um, as we look at what it means to live devoted to Jesus from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Mark 5, 1 to 20. Get your Bibles out, the outline from the hub, and follow along. And uh, I do wonder, as we begin, just thinking of the Olympics, because it really is a preacher's delight to have the Olympics on uh, every four years. So I thought I'd lean into that as I begin. But I'm not a sporty type, so bear with me if you are a sport nut. And I apologize for everything I say, because it's probably going to be wrong, and I'm going to fumble my way through it. But we've watched some as a family in lockdown. We saw taekwondo, judo, uh, bike riding, skateboarding, surfing, swimming, aerobatics. Acrobatics. There you go. See? Terrible at sport. But what I've noticed of the Olympics is that so much of it is informed by the past. 
and so much of the of the future is impacted by the present. What do I mean by that confusing statement? Well, when you watch the Olympics, there's highlight reels of what happened before. There's the athlete who competed in her eighth uh, Olympics, and she didn't get anywhere near a medal, but the cheering of the crowd that she got that far after having children and, and you know, continuing to, to be an athlete in her late 40s is just amazing. It's, um, it's the women's butterfly who broke, I think it was three records in the heats leading up to the final. Every time they raced, boom, world record gone and then broken again, broken again, broken again. The future's changed by that event. Or it's that amazing moment when Ariana Titmus's coach went just bananas because she won the gold medal, changing the future. Have you seen it? It's gone viral. I'm sure you probably have. But reflecting on the past is important for the present and it informs how we go in the future. Olympics, I've noticed, converge all those things into this one moment. And I want to do that today. I want to look back at the year that we've had at Golden Grove as God's people, just reflecting on God's kindness to us all, and how each of us have played a part in shaping our community. Whether you've been here for one minute or five years, you've played a part and God is so kind. Then I want to look forward to what the rest of the year holds and even beyond, because we've been setting ourselves up to be a church this year who's loving God, loving others, making disciples in Adelaide's North. But I also want to look down, down deep into God's word, because here is where we're rooted and established. Here, it's where we gaze upon God, his character, and our Savior Jesus so beautifully and clearly. And as we do this, look back, look forward, look down, I want us to think about this question. How do you want to live? How do you want to live? And so by doing this today, I hope that you'll join me in answering that question by saying, I will live devoted to Jesus. I will live devoted to Jesus. So let's do that. Let's go. Let's look back. So all year as we've been meeting, we've been doing two really important things week in and week out as we open God's word. One of them is the interviews. And I just want to say these are really just the tip of the iceberg of what God's doing in your life. And I'm thrilled. I love, love hearing the stories of the phone calls, the meals, the chats, the care, how you've been looking after one another and just the community of God's people saved by Jesus, united in him, genuinely loving him and loving others. And as small as those interviews are, just for a few minutes on a Sunday, they reflect something more that's going on under the surface by God's spirit at work in you. And I'm thrilled. And I just want to pause and acknowledge that and say thank you. But not only that, we've been intentional, number two, of helping one another uh, know how to take Jesus to our family and friends as individuals, to see the missional heat that surrounds every single follower of Jesus, to stoke that fire, uh, if you will. And we saw that in May in the Sam Chan book, didn't we? The interviews of coffee, dinner, gospel that came up week in and week out. And, and many of you have been thinking that way with friends at work. And, and I'm thrilled. I'm just, I'm, thank you. Um, I'm encouraged by that, that you're seeing it, that as our culture changes so much, we we adapt, not with changing the gospel, but in thinking, how do I take the wonderful eternal truth of Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, and King, bring it to bear on someone's life, and it's wonderful. Community, mission, we haven't arrived, we haven't finished, we've still got flaws and holes, but let's pause 
let's celebrate how Jesus has been at work in us and through us in all these little ways because he has. And I just want to say thank you and I'm thrilled. Then reflect with me on the parts of the Bible we've looked at to this end. We started the year in January with some big questions because God actually invites conversation about hard things in life. We talked about COVID, the environment, love and respect. In February to April, we finished our series in the Gospel of Luke, investigating the kingdom of God and how in Jesus it all comes to life. And, 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 and it, um, that's how the kingdom of God comes to us, in Jesus. Then in April, we paused and did a topical series on generosity. Jesus has been generous to us. Now we can live a generous life through him. In April as well, we paused and reflected on some of the Psalms, looking at God's character. In May, we looked at Jonah, the mercy and the mission of God. And then we've just finished in June and July a series in 1 Thessalonians called The Gospel Family, seeing how the believers in the church relate to one another, encouraging each other to keep going in Christ. And then next week, on the, on, in August, we're going to spend some time in Leviticus, of all places, in a series I've called Our Holy God. You see, we want to be a church who champions a big, holy view of God, and there's no better book at seeing that than Leviticus. That's where we've been. And all of that helps to inform our future as we look forward at being a church who is all about loving God, loving people, and making disciples in Adelaide's North. That's what lies ahead for us. It's simple. There's nothing complex. There's no catchy phrases in that. We're just a church devoted to Jesus on his mission, loving people. And we're going to be a church that becomes more devoted to Jesus. That happens by being in his word, through his spirit, in community with one another, as we gaze more and more deeply at the holy, majestic, glorious one himself. So let's do that now. Let's look down to see the Holy One of God, Jesus, and how he informs our purpose as a church. We look back at the year that's been. We're looking forward to where we're going to go. But let's look down now. So Mark 5, 1 20, all about how to be devoted to Jesus, what that looks like. And I have seven brief observations from this text before concluding with uh, summarizing them as to what it means to be devoted to Jesus for us. Okay? And as I've thought through this passage this week, what, what I've noticed is just the power and authority, the mercy and kindness that Jesus has. And I just, it's been renewed in me that he is so kind, yet so full of authority. And I pray that you would see that with me too as we look through these seven things. So first thing, uh, Jesus visits an uncomfortable place. Verse 1 of chapter 5, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus visits an uncomfortable place. Now, this region of Gerasenes was a disputed territory. And even after 2,000 years since this was written, it still is a disputed territory. It was known uh, as well as the region of 10 cities, and scribes in Jesus' day fiercely debated over what cities made up those 10. Moreover, and it was Roman territory. And Rome in Jesus' day was the monster of all monsters. It was a oppressive, unclean nation, according to the Jewish people. They wanted to be free from its rule, from its tyranny. And right across the lake, the next suburb was Rome. The point is, is that this isn't Jesus, uh, Jew, Jew, this isn't Jewish territory Jesus goes into. 
but he goes to this uncomfortable place to seek the people out. And like Jesus, his mission will often take you and me into uncomfortable places as we meet people that have no knowledge of him. Secondly, it's full of people far from God. Look at verses 2 to 5. When Jesus got out the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. You know, Jewish people lived their life between clean and unclean. They avoided things that would make them unclean and stop them entering God's space, the temple, and did things that would make them clean and able to enter God's space in the temple. You know, if you've had to quarantine the last few days, or weeks, I should say, then you'll get a feeling of what it's like to be clean and unclean, of how if you, you've gone to an exposure site, you have to stay at home and not go out except for a test. And that's a little bit like it was in Jesus' day, following the law. If you did something that made you unclean, go away, separate yourself, come back when you're okay. And here, notice the uncleanness runs right up to God himself, and it's a poor soul. And Mark tells us four reasons why this man and the people of this region were unclean. That means they can't come to God. First, he lived with an unclean spirit. He's inhabited by demons. He lived among the tombs. Dead bodies made you instantly unclean. Moreover, they lived in Gentile territory, and that made them outside God's people, and by virtue of that, they were unclean. Fourthly, they also lived among pigs. Yes, pigs. Pigs were animals declared unclean, and here was a herd of 2,000 of them. We see that in verse 13. But more than being unclean, he's a human wreck. Demons may have given him superhuman strength, like breaking chains, but this poor man is a shell of what a flourishing life looks like. Notice that he's isolated from human contact. He lives in the tombs. He's treated like a problem. They only ever visit him to chain him up. He's self-destructive because he cuts himself on the rocks, and he's also naked. We read that because later on he's fully clothed. The point of this is that while society treats this man as a problem, Jesus sees beyond that. The man doesn't need chains. He needs to be rescued. And that can only happen by the power, authority of the Most High God, because evil is always and in every way subservient to the will of God. That's the third point. Jesus is the most high God. Look at verse 6 to 13. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Notice the plural in that. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He, that's Jesus, gave them permission and the impure spirits came out, went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in their town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. 
And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Now the evil spirits, which are many, they use this man as a mouthpiece and declare one of the most accurate, truthful statements in the entire Bible. Did you see it? Jesus, son of the Most High God. But that's not a confession in humility or of worship. The demon is threatened by Jesus. Jesus asks for its name. And it's a strange reply because he doesn't really have a name, just he just has a number, legion. It's a Roman term which means 6,000 soldiers. The point is that this man is fully overrun by demons. And it's here where the authority of the Most High God comes out. The man has demons, but demons never have the man. You see, they beg Jesus to send them into some pigs. Overcoming a man, they can't overcome the Son of Man. And they can't argue with Jesus either. His authority is too great. And in doing this, Jesus will spare the man and bring order out of chaos. Because the next point is that Jesus takes away all his uncleanness. In this great act of compassion, Jesus allows the demons to go into the pigs and they quickly drown. And that seems so strange, but it need not be. 2,000 pigs were very, very economically valuable. It's like a warehouse full of stock in today's world and the whole thing going up in flames just in a moment. But to Jesus, the man's life was worth more than a warehouse full of pigs. His compassion is in the right place. What's more, these unclean demons go into unclean pigs where they can't make anyone impure again. Unclean spirits, yes, they should live in unclean vessels, not humans. And the pigs, dead underwater, underwater is a place of chaos, they can no longer destroy human life. Because you see, a person's not meant to be influenced by evil, but to be a space where the goodness of God can dwell, being made clean. And then Jesus speaks. And the man is no longer out of control, but sitting sitting in a position of humility and learning at the feet of the one who made him whole, what authority, what power the name of Jesus has. Fifth point, some people don't care about Jesus' power or authority, they just want him gone. Some people don't care about Jesus' power and authority, they just want him gone. End of verse 15 to 17, they saw the man, they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people begged, oh sorry, began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Began to plead with Jesus to leave. I mean, what's so scary about seeing someone sitting at Jesus' feet? Simply that Jesus didn't use chains to make him sit. He used words. But they don't get it. They don't see it. They're not rejoicing at Jesus' great power and authority. They would rather the man be overrun with evil than to find comfort in the one who can expel the evil. You see, Jesus went for the inner man as the Most High God can, going into places that only his authority can have, and they didn't like it. They beg, plead, like the demons, for Jesus to leave them alone. And that seems so odd, but it makes sense. 
when you encounter the Most High God as an unclean person in all his power and all his authority, it is not something that you want around. We would rather a nice God who sides with us, who makes us economically strong, approving of our way of life and letting us get on with how we want to live. We don't want a God who is most high, most holy and above us. You see, the moment Jesus' authority is shown, it affected their life, their assumptions, their wallet, everything about what they thought. Don Carson, a scholar and theologian, aptly summarizes this moment and says, the culture of this region valued pigs more than people. Do we? Sixthly, the heart of a disciple is wanting to follow Jesus. Look at verse 18 to 20. As Jesus was getting back in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Diacopolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Diacopolis is just the region of the ten cities, another name. So the spotlight's back on the man now. He wants to follow Jesus, which is an expected reaction, isn't it? When Jesus does that to you, you want to side with him. He pleads, like the demons and the townspeople, he pleads, I want to follow you. But Jesus doesn't respond the way you'd think. He says, no. Why? Why would Jesus do it? Doesn't he call people like Matthew the tax collector, come follow me, come to me who are weary, and I'll give you rest? Well, yes. But there's something bigger going on that the man needs to realize. He's a Gentile. This man has an opportunity, unique to him, to spread the news of what God is doing through Jesus of Nazareth among his own country people. In his home, it says, telling non-Jewish folks all about the mercy of Jesus. And even though they don't want Jesus, they can't get rid of the presence of the changed man's life, can they? You see, Jesus wants him to remain where he is, but now as a follower of him. He's no longer a beast to be held down. He's fully human, called to proclaim the mercy of God in his life. And long before Paul was called, saved, to go to the Gentiles, this man was the first to tell other non-Jewish folks all about Jesus. Lastly, yes, the heart of a disciple is wanting to follow Jesus, but Point seven, we follow on Jesus' terms, not ours. We follow on Jesus' terms, not ours. Notice the man, when Jesus says no, he went away and began to tell in the Diacopolis how much Jesus had done for him. No arguing, no hesitating. He knows that Jesus' authority is now for him. That's his hope and his peace. And so the story ends with this nameless man telling everyone about the greatest name, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Not just telling what happened, but what it all means. He says he went away and began to tell how much Jesus had done, and all the people were amazed. The point is that God has mercy for you, just like me. And now this man lives devoted to Jesus. So, seven ways, seven thoughts from the passage considering how do we want to live, how do you want to live, how we will live as a church? And the answer I said at the start is, I hope you can say, I want to live devoted to Jesus, the Most High God. You see, as a church, loving others 
making, uh, loving others, loving God, making disciples. It's all about ourselves and others being amazed at this Jesus, his mercy and his authority as the Most High God. And all the people were amazed, it says. Are you amazed? You see, that's where it begins. And that's the Jesus I want us to see today. Because this is Jesus, as fierce as he is gentle. This is Jesus with buckets of compassion and kindness to the man who people only wanted to chain up. This is Jesus, the Most High God, who restores us to wholeness. This is Jesus, who the powers of evil reel in shock at. This is Jesus, whose gospel liberates lives. This is Jesus, who brings order out of chaos. This is Jesus, the one who was lowly enough to leave the crowds, but who made the first move to go towards them. This is Jesus who sends transformed, change vessels of his grace to their homes to tell of his great mercy. And that still happens today. And it's happened to many of you. And by the grace and power of God, it will still happen to those we know. Because this is Jesus, who at the climax of this story as the Most High God was himself naked outside the city, torn apart on the cross. This is Jesus, the Most High God, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the Jesus we will champion. This is the Jesus whose feet of authority we gladly sit at. This is the Jesus who we will follow and go wherever he calls. This is the Jesus that we want to champion every single week We want to confess him and see our community come to know him. This is the Jesus, the son of the most high God that I want to follow and be devoted to. What about you? Will you decide to live devoted to Jesus? I do hope and pray that you will because that's what we're going to be as a church, loving God, loving others, making disciples in Adelaide's North. And it begins with each one of us saying yes, I'll be devoted to him, the son of the most high God. I do hope and I pray that you've been amazed at Jesus' authority and power, mercy and kindness today from this passage. I'm going to pray and then we'll get to the next part of our service with a song to reflect more on the great name of Jesus. Our great father God, in your kindness, since the beginning of creation, before creation in fact, you always had a plan As the Most High God, Father, Son, Spirit, you decided to send your Son, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, into the earth with all the power and authority that belongs to you to reclaim a lost people for yourselves, to form a new community gathered under at the foot of the cross, sitting humbly before him in awe and dependence upon you. And we want to be that community. We want to be individuals who are devoted to you. The most important thing for us to know top, bottom, in all the universe is Jesus has authority and we can submit willingly, joyfully to you because only you bring order out of chaos. Only you make life worth living. And so God, may each one of us sense and know the mercy and kindness of Jesus today. May that shape how we live in the future. May we be people that dig deep into your word rooted and grounded in your character and your scriptures and your son. For your glory. Amen.